Yo, this afternoon I have a word for you, and I'm going to be taking my scripture from Mark chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to Mark chapter 4, and it is going to be on a screen, but I encourage you to read it from your Bibles, and I will be reading from the New Living Translation, verses 35 to 41. Now it says this, As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up, high waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we are going to drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence, be still. Suddenly, the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and waves obey him. This afternoon, the title of my message is Still in the Storm. Now you can read it two ways. You can read it as, I'm going to be still in the storm. I'm going to remain calm. I'm going to remain steadfast. I'm going to be steady and not let the storm or anything shake me. Or you could be, after all that I have been through, after all that I've experienced, and after all the trouble that I have had to put up with, am I still in the storm? So I hope it speaks to people this afternoon. If you've been in church for a while, this will not be an unfamiliar passage. But I feel like the Lord has a word from this passage to you and I, particularly when we are living in troubled times. It's not an unknown fact, right? Don't have to be a rocket scientist to know that we are indeed living in troubled times. Now, I don't know about you, but um, anybody here, you like rain? You, anybody actually enjoy rain? I only find rain to be useful when I'm going to take a nap or that when I'm sleeping, right, and I wake up, one of, one of those moments where you wake up, you think it's time to get up, and then you look at the clock, you go, praise God, I got three more hours to sleep. Those are one of the little pleasures of life that I enjoy. But I also acknowledge that rain can be sometimes very inconvenient, especially if you commute, you take the public transport, maybe you from station to station or from a station to your destination, you have to go through areas which are not covered and then you will have to bear the rain or sometimes maybe you want to go on an outdoor activity whether it's a picnic I don't know if any of you actually go on a picnic in Malaysia all power to you if you do that right where we could have planned an outdoor activity but then it rains and it spoils our plans there are times whenever I can you know I like to go on a motorcycle ride so what I would do is I would first go onto the weather forecast and I would check and see if there is rain coming so if it's going to be forecasted rain, I may decide I may not go at all, or I will try and prepare, just like how some of us will prepare for rain. We will get an umbrella, we will get uh, a raincoat, we will do whatever it takes. But how many of you know, sometimes rain or storms come no matter how prepared you are? 
or sometimes they come even when you did not prepare. No amount of whining, no amount of whinging or complaining or pity partying will stop the fact or change the fact that storms come. The rain happens, and that's what happens in life as well. There are times where we prepare for a rainy day, figuratively or financially speaking. But there are also times a crisis can hit us when we least expect it. A turn of events, a situation so desperate and so dire that it catches us off guard. But you see, the thing is storms and rain are a part of life. Just like crisis, just like circumstances that we don't understand, like turmoil that comes our way, trouble that comes along, these things are part of life. And nothing that we can do actually changes this fact. But how many of you know storms are a necessary part of life? Rain is a necessary part of life. Think about it. If there was no rain, things wouldn't be able to grow. If there was no trouble, Christians would not be able to grow. Because faith is like a muscle. It has to be exercised. It has to be worked out. And when trouble comes, when storm comes, here's the thing. Rough seas make for smooth sailors. You see, if everything was hunky-dory, fine and dandy all the time, we would just cruise along, we would just go along, and nothing in us will ever change. Because when I read the Bible, I recognize one thing. It is often not prosperity that grows the people of God. In fact, in prosperity, people actually forget God. It is true adversity. It is true trouble. It's true the trials. It's true the difficulty. And you know, I pastor the young people, right? Let me tell you when young people are the most spiritual. During their exams and when they break up with their boyfriends or girlfriends. That's when they're the most spiritual. That's when they go, Pastor, pray for me. Right? You know, oh, I, I want to serve the Lord. I feel like the Lord has removed certain distractions. No, he just got dumped, you know, so that I can actually serve you. But some of us adults are the same as well, right? When business is going well, you know, we get busy, we get, uh, we get busy, we get occupied with all these different things that we're doing, and it's so easy to push God aside. But then when storms come, it actually forces us to grow. It actually has to now take, we now have to take stock of what we truly believe in and what we are truly about and what we are building. You see, our faith has to be tested. A faith tested is a faith that can be trusted. In life, life is different from school, for those of you who are in school. In school, things work this way. You are first taught a lesson and then given a test. But in life and even in faith, you are given a test that actually teaches you a lesson. And you see, God, oftentimes when he shakes things, right? we heard messages on the shakings of God. When God shakes things, when God disrupts things, it is not to break us, but to make us. The test that comes from God is never to fail us, but to actually 
form us, right? An illustration I can think, I think of is like this way. You know, if you have a 10-story building, now I'm not an architect or a civil engineer, but I understand if you have a 10-story building, you will need a foundation that can support 10 stories. Now, hypothetically speaking, if you wanted this tower to be taller, you can't just slap another 10 stories or another 100 stories onto this 10-story building because what would happen is this building will not be able to be supported by its found current foundation. In fact, if you want a building to go higher, if you want to go higher in God, you have to go deeper. The building has to be dug deeper. A foundation has to be redug. That's why oftentimes God tears down certain things in our life. Not because he wants to destroy us, because he wants to make way for things, for newer things in our life, for higher things in our life. But God has to first shake and test it. That's why I want to first encourage you, not all storms come to disrupt your life. Some come to actually clear your path. You see, in a storm, what happens is you have to take stock. You have to reevaluate. Sometimes in a storm, you will have people in your boat who you thought that you could trust, who you thought you could rely on. But what they do is they abandon ship when you need them. And that has happened to me as well. In times of crisis, I thought the people that I could lean on, the people that I could trust in, they disappear. They abandon me. And I take, you know, the Lord told me this. Right, don't you know, don't look at it as losing people, but you've just gained the realization of who is truly for you. Don't cry for people who have actually left. Celebrate the one who is with you, and that one is Jesus, who himself will never leave you nor forsake you. And the other thing I recognize is in storms is if you are in a boat, a very full boat, what you often have to do is if you want your boat to stay afloat, you have to start off loading the boat. You have to get rid of unnecessary cargo. You have to lighten the load. Sometimes in a storm, the way God clears a path is He wants us to lighten the load of our life. There are some burdens that we are carrying. God is telling us you cannot take that to the other side. There are some hurts, some disappointments, some doubts, some different things that we've been carrying in our life. Some unnecessary cargo. And God is saying, you have to let go of these things because the only one you should cling on to is me, Jesus. And this scripture, you know, this is an interesting story and I want to draw a few observations from this story. One observation that I want to bring to you is this. Just because Jesus is in your boat, it does not mean the storm won't come. The disciples got into the boat and Jesus was along with them. Just because you have God in your marriage does not mean trouble won't come. 
Just because you have dedicated a business to the Lord does not mean trouble won't come. Just because you have Jesus in your school, just because you have Jesus in your family, it does not mean trouble won't come. Get this, just because you have Jesus in your country does not mean political turmoil and confusion won't come. Jesus himself promised this. One of my least favorite scriptures in the Bible, John 16, 33. In this world, you will have trouble. By thank God, it, there is no full stop there. There is a comma. But take heart, he goes on to say, that I have overcome the world. When the world overwhelms us by his power, by his spirit, we can overcome. Amen. Just because Jesus is in your boat, it does not mean the storm won't come, but it does mean the storm can be calmed. It does mean the storm can be calmed. Now, if you notice something, the storm did not wake Jesus up. In fact, he, he, did not, he did not even bat an eyelid. He just continued sleeping. And the Bible tells us that high waves were breaking into the boat and water was actually now starting to fill the boat. Now, I'm not an expert in boatology, whatever you call it. I'm not an expert of boats, but I know boats work this way. Water stays out, water doesn't come in. It's a boat not a bathtub, right? I recognize this. Yet, when the water was filling the boat, what was Jesus doing? He was sleeping with a cushion. Now, this is the fourth service, right? We're a little bit more relaxed. Can you imagine right now, just throwing up my cushion? Yeah, just throw it up to me. I've got a cushion here, kind of matches my, my suit actually. What if right now, while you're all here, I just decide to take a nap? Is that okay? I'm actually gonna take a nap right now. In fact, I'm gonna lie down. I'm just gonna lie down right here. This is actually really comfortable. I can get used to this. In fact, I might continue the rest of my sermon from down here. Y'all okay with that? The boat was being broken into and water was filling in. And the thing is, Jesus was just lying on his cushion, sleeping as if nothing was happening. Have you ever felt that way? that your life is falling apart, that you are in such turmoil and confusion, maybe your heart is being broken into a million pieces and you are wondering, where is the Lord? And it's almost like this picture right here. Everything is going to hell right now, but what Jesus is doing is he sleeping, lying on a cushion while the disciples were stewing, the Lord was snoozing. And can I, can I suggest to you that is not a very considerate thing to do. Not a considerate, what was God doing? But yet, 
the Lord was so calmed. Now, I don't think the Lord is like some people we know who can absolutely sleep through anything, even an apocalypse. Any of you got relatives or spouses like that? Like they can just sleep through literally anything. Like if an earthquake happens, you better run. Don't bother waking them up. Otherwise, you'll die along with them. That kind of thing. I don't think the Lord was like this, but the Lord has such an assurance and he knew where he was going. He knew that he had a greater purpose and that would not have been the end. Can you imagine if that was the end for Jesus? Can you imagine if that was the end? Like, it's like, okay, they send the Son of God now to save mankind, but unfortunately, he fell asleep in a storm, couldn't wake up, he died. And he goes back to the throne room of heaven and all the angels ask Jesus what happened. And he went, well, I just couldn't wake up. Can you imagine? But no, Jesus knew that that was not the end. And a lot of times, it's not the storms on the outside that should concern us, it's the storms on the inside. It's the storms on the inside. Jesus was assured. He knew he had a plan. He knew that God had a plan for him. That's why the Bible tells us, do you know the Bible? In the Bible, the phrase do not fear or variations of it actually occurs 365 times. And some people will say one for every day of the year. Do not fear. Fear not. Do not be discouraged. It is the most repeated commandment, but yet the one that we often disobey first. We are filled with fear. We are filled with discouragement. When the Lord tells us do not fear, even when the storms are raging, even when situation seems confusing, do not fear. Deuteronomy 31 verse 6 says this, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not panic before them, for the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. Listen to this. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. Isaiah 41 verse 10, don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious hand. And this leads me to my other observation. The downpour did not rouse Jesus. It was the outburst of his disciples that woke him. Listen to this. The Lord was just sleeping through the storm, but the one thing that compelled him to get up to actually do something about it was when his disciples cried out to him, Lord, wake up, don't you care that we are going to die? Turn to someone next to you and say, wake up! Especially those who are sleeping through this sermon. God have mercy on you, right? Wake up! And, the, and Jesus is finally roused from his slumber. Second Chronicles 7.14 says this, if my people who are called by my name, if they will humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways and pray, I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. If my people 
who are called by my name will humble themselves. My friends, I pray you and I will be people who will always humble ourselves before the Lord instead of waiting to be humbled by God. Because let me tell you, that is not a pleasant experience. Prayer, calling out to God is such an important part of our Christian life. You know, not praying and calling yourself a Christian and not praying is like having a car but never having any fuel in it. We have to pray. And the Lord actually, you know, challenged me this or he gave me this thought. Do you know the price of prayer is the cost of your ego? The only price of prayer is the cost of your ego. What do I mean by that? When you humble yourselves, when you recognize I can't do anything without God. Now that is not looking down on yourself, that's actually learning to lean on Him. Some of us, we have illusions of grandeur, or we have a overestimation of our own abilities. You see, in this day and age, people, uh, one thing that people like to celebrate is busyness. Right? It's like when you catch up with a friend or family member, they ask you, how are you? How are you doing? Oh, I'm so busy. I'm so busy. I'm so busy. I'm busy doing this, busy doing that, and all these different things. And then what happens when a crisis hits, then only we all come and pray. Then only we gather and we start calling out to go, oh no, Jesus, help us, Jesus, save us, and all that. But you know, a couple of days ago, I didn't say this in uh, yesterday's service, but I, I felt like I want to share it in this service. A few days ago, the Lord gave me this picture of what prayer is like. Prayer is like lighting a scented candle. Now, a scented candle, or a candle for that matter, we know how it works. It actually gives light. It lights up, right? This is what happens. In times of darkness, many believers want to go and light the candle because darkness has come, let's quickly light the candle and let's now get it all the light up. But then when in times of light or when the darkness is not as obvious or strong, we neglect lighting the candle because we think there's enough light anyway, I'm not going to do it. But the Lord told me, you know a scented candle not just gives light, it gives up an aroma, and that aroma affects and shapes the atmosphere. That's why it's so important that we as believers, we have to continuously pray. The Bible tells us, 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray unceasingly. We have to pray, not just when our party wins the elections, not just when, you know, our, not just when, um, um, not, not just when we were in a crisis. No, we have to pray in all times and all seasons and lean on God. Can we as a people of God allow prayer to be our steering wheel and not our spare tire? What if the people of God actually made prayer a first priority instead of a last resort? That way we won't be playing, playing catch up with the enemy. That way we won't be constantly in a frenzy. We have to pray. We have to learn to cry out to Jesus even in good times, not just the bad times. We have to continuously lean on Him because He is more than able. Don't wait to the point where God humbles you. Man, that is, you know, you know, a lot of times where God, when I see people actually walk away from God, I pray for mercy on them because I know the way God gets people back is not through blessing, 
It's true testing. Do you know that? Have you ever heard of a situation where uh, most of you would have bank accounts, I believe. Have you ever heard of a situation of somebody opening up their bank account and finding $10 million in it and then suddenly going, my goodness, rejoice in the Lord. This is the day the Lord has made. The Lord has indeed blessed me. I shall now serve him wholeheartedly and give 90% of this into missions. No, 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 no. People become humble and they seek the Lord when they open their bank account and they see 10 ringgit and they see bills this high, this stack, and they go, Lord, I need you. That's how people turn back to the Lord. So I pray we would never reach the point where the Lord needs to humble us. We would humble ourselves and cry out to him. One more observation that I see in this story is this. Jesus stilled the storm, but he wanted to stir up faith. What he really wanted to do was stir up faith. You see, the disciples woke Jesus up. And Jesus, probably, you know, a little bit grumpy. He was, you know, fully God, but fully man as well. You've had this experience before, you know, you're napping really nice, and then someone wakes you up, you get a little bit grumpy. He gets up and he rebukes the storm. Now, rebuking is scolding, a strong apprehension, right? It's not telling it nicely to be still. But after Jesus rebuked the storm, who did he rebuke? The disciples. He rebuked the disciples. He said, why did you guys have so little faith? Why do you have so little faith? Now I draw two things from this lesson. One is that I recognize that the disciples were probably empowered themselves to be able to still the storm if they had faith. And it's like many of us, a lot of times we go, I need to get a pastor, I need to get a leader, I need to get someone to anoint me, to pray for me, do all that. But we don't recognize that we ourselves have access to the throne room. We ourselves have access to God. You don't have to come here in a setting like this, even though it's wonderful to get access to God. Whenever you cry out to Him, you have direct access. Whenever you pray, God listens. The same power that rose Christ from the dead lives in you and I, not just the chosen feel. That's what God does. That's who Jesus is. But another reason why I believe Jesus was annoyed and he rebuked the disciples and said, why do you have so little faith? I believe it's because the storm would have passed and they would have made it. Think about this. Number one, the boat was breaking up. Water was coming in. Jesus was not fully oblivious. He knew what was going on. But Jesus also knew that that was not his time yet, that God had a greater plan. So I believe if the disciples hung tight and did not wake him, they would have made it anyway because Jesus was still in the boat and his 
time was not up yet. Some of us need to recognize that the, it is not the end of the story just yet. It is an end of a chapter. It could be closing a chapter, but let me tell you, the story goes on. Some of us need to recognize this, that you have not been ended just yet. God is not done with you and I. Just because the storm comes, it does not mean God is displeased with us or God wants to cast us aside. No, as long as you have breath in your body and energy in your bones, let me tell you, God has a plan for you. As long as you're able to get out of bed every day and you're able to lift up your hands and say, God, here I am, God has a plan for you. Every storm that comes, it will pass. The storm in your business, it will pass. The storm in your marriage, it will pass. The storm in your studies, the storm in your family, in your relationships, whatever it is, it will pass. And let me tell you, the storm in the country, it too will pass. It will pass. It will pass. Let me put it down to you this way. Walaupun tun tidak ada lagi memerintah, tetapi Tuhan Yesus masih bertakta. Walaupun pakatan harapan tidak lagi berkuasa, tetapi pemberi harapan masih bekerja. Am I speaking to some people in this place? Am I speaking to some believers in this place? The storms will pass. And I'm reminded of this story in Daniel chapter 3. You know, Daniel chapter 3, there's this story of these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. How I remember their names is shake the bed, make the bed, into the bed you go, right? They have complicated names. But these three men, apart from their complicated names, they showed a great fortitude when it comes to their faith. You see, they live in a time known as, you know, they live in a, in a time where King Nebuchadnezzar was king. He was in charge. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar was not a Christian king. He was not a godly leader. No, King Nebuchadnezzar actually was a person who only favored himself. And he was not righteous. He was not holy. All the things that we Christians think that that would be the ideal leader. So what happens is King Nebuchadnezzar one day decides, I'm going to erect a golden statue of myself and everybody in my kingdom, all my subjects must bow down to this statue. And they bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who are key players in the government of that time and they say this. Let's put a scripture on the screen. Look at this. What did they say? They say, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. At this point, they have refused to bow down to the idol that the king had made. And they say this in verse 17, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. Wow, what great faith, what a declaration. In the face of adversity, in the face of trouble, they declare our God can save us. Powerful. But wait, there is an even more powerful line after that. What did they say? But even if he does not, 
but even if he does not, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Oh, my number one goal is to build a generation that will be like this. We will not, our God can deliver us, but we will, even if he does not, we will not bow to fear, we will not bow to intimidation, we will not bow to the devil, we will not bow to doubt, we will not bow to disbelief, we will not bow, we will stand firm come hell or high water. That's the kind of generation that I want to build. That's the kind of church that I want to see rise up from a time just like this. The storm may be raging, but we are going to stand firm on the promises of God. The last observation that I see is this, and we get the band up. It's not about the craft you are in, but the Christ you have with you. What do I mean by this? You see, I'm sure after the disciples got to the other side, maybe they could have done a little debriefing session, like how we often do in ministries or in our businesses, or we do a little debriefing. They could have started talking, hey, what if we use a better boat, a bigger one? What if we got better wood? What if we did this? What if we did that? And a lot of times, that's what we do. We look at the craft and we think if only we had a better craft. We look at our family and we think if only I had a better family. We look at our business and we go, if only I had a better plan. We look at our country and we go, if only this was a different country. Let me tell you something. And I say this with all love and honesty. Migration is not the answer. It's not. I know at this time, many Malaysians want to go to the Malaysian promised land, Australia. That's, not, that's a promised land of, not the promised land of the Holy Spirit, the promised land of Malaysians. Because we run in fear. We think that if we change crafts or we change boats, is we are going to make it. No, that's not matter what boat you are in. It's the Christ that is with you. A lot of times we can look across and see, if only I had this person's gifting or talent, or if only I was like this, if only I was blessed like that person, that person, if only I had it easy. Let me tell you, my friends, nobody in life has it completely easy. Because to be chosen by God, there's blessing, but there is also testing. But I want to assure you, my friends, that with God, the storm may come and you may still be in the storm. Some of you may be going through great storms, storms that nobody else can ever imagine that you're going through. But let me tell you, Jesus is still in the boat. Jesus is still with you and He will always be with you. He will never leave you and He will never forsake you. Amen? You know, I feel the presence of the Holy Spirit in this place. I feel He is encouraging. He is comforting many different people right now. Some of you, the storms are raging so hard in your life. But let me tell you, the Savior is greater. The healer is greater. The deliverer is greater.
greater. Some of you are going through storms of bad reports. Someone here, you had a bad medical report. I'm a bit hazy on the details, I can't tell exactly, but the, the thing that I got is a bad medical report. It could be something terminal or it could be just be something that is negative, but that has been like a storm that's hit you really hard in this season. But the Lord is saying, stand firm, speak to the storm, speak to the mountain. Don't speak about the mountain, speak to the mountain. Tell it to move. See the power of God move through your life in Jesus' name. Somebody else here, you're going through a very difficult time in your marriage and you feel really discouraged. I feel like the Lord is saying, you're going through a difficult time in your family, your marriage, your children. I feel the Lord is saying, this storm will pass. Just keep believing, just keep being faithful, just keep speaking life over your spouse and your children and the storm will pass. Some of, I feel like some people here, you're going through a storm in your career or your business. And I feel that the Lord wants to encourage you today as well. The storm will pass. The boat will stay intact. It will stay intact. Some of us here, I feel like we've been really discouraged by the political events that have taken place. You prayed really, really hard the last time around. And to see this happen, you're so discouraged. You even feel like, why bother praying? But the Lord wants to gently correct you and tell you, hey, just like how the boat stayed intact, the country is going to stay intact. We are still going to have a country, no matter who the PM is. We will still see better days, no matter who the government is, because the government of Malaysia, they may be men, but we have someone greater than mortal beings looking over our nation. Trust in God. Trust in Him. Thank you, Lord. Let's lift our hands to Jesus. I'm going to just close in prayer, especially for those of you who you're going through maybe storms of different kinds in your life. Lord, you see these hands and you know all the different storms that we may be facing. But Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, may the peace of God, the peace that goes beyond all understanding, guard our hearts and guard our minds. Lord, I pray that whatever storm each and every one of us are facing, we will not look to the wind and the waves, but we will look to the Savior. We will look to our God. And we trust in you. We trust in you. That you who began a good work in us, you will see it to completion. That our story does not end here. It's not over yet because the Lord is still moving, the Lord is still working, and the Lord is still alive. You are still alive. You are still on the throne. So we trust in you. We give you back all the praise and all the glory. We worship you. We thank you. And the people of God who have faith say, Amen.